Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, buenos tardes, buenas sera, buena noche, and all those wonderful greetings. Welcome to episode 11 of the Way It Is official Bobby Galinsky podcast, and you guessed it, way to go, detective. I'm your official Bobby Galinsky. It is Friday, the 5th of June. We're in summer in the Northern Hemisphere, dead of winter here in Australia, and um, it's been cold all week. It's been down like to the mid-40s Fahrenheit in the morning, which is about 8 or 9 degrees centigrade, and not climbing up much above 13 or 14 centigrade, so barely into the 60s for you Fahrenheitians. And um, that's nice, though, because I love taking that morning walk in the cold, love putting on a nice parka, scarf, fresh crisp air early in the morning, feel fantastic by the time I'm back, like right now. And uh, I am sounding upbeat, and I'm trying to sound upbeat. It's It's been a very, very, very challenging week around the world for a lot of people. But in the darkness, there is always the light. And we're going to talk about the goodness this week. We're going to talk about the badness also, which is a little bit self-evident. But there's been some fantastic achievements. SpaceX, um, police coming together with rioters to form a bond. That's been the the highlights there. And uh, I don't need to tell people that there's been a pandemic, that there's been worldwide riots. Unless unless you've lived in a cave, you know it. So we're we're gonna we're gonna hit on that. We're gonna hit on that. It's been a weird it's been a weird day. And on this day in history, not really much has happened. I really had to dig. Really had to dig. If you go back to 1873, Sultan Bargash bin Syed, under British pressure, closed the infamous slave market of Zanzibar in modern-day Tanzania. I doubt there were any protests and demonstrations back then. I somehow don't think, um, you know, there would have been a Tanzanian Lives Matter, you know, demonstration, and I don't think they would have been looting back then. But that's good, because protest is good. It is a God-given right and constitutional right to assemble and protest peacefully, and that was a very, very good thing that came out of a very, very, very horrific thing that most of us have seen on video, the death of George Floyd. Won't beat around the bush there. But what has happened negatively is that positive, powerful demonstration got hijacked, hijacked by the wrong people. And I'll talk about that in a few minutes. But that wasn't all that's happened in history. On this day in 67, the Six-Day War began between Israel and the neighboring Arab states of Egypt, Jordan, and Syria. And Israel kicked their ass. Israel beat them like a red-haired stepchild. And, uh, you know, just one of 10,000 years of hassles with our Arab friends and stuff like that. I do have some close Arab friends. In fact, my best friend here in Australia, as you might know or remember, if you are a podcast aficionado and have been following all the episodes, as you should, you are permitted to go back and review, is my buddy Suhey Blado, who is Syrian. 
So who says Jews and Syrians can't get together? And segueing, segueing ham-handedly, on this day in 1968, Palestinian, don't know any Palestinians I like, frankly, at all. Sirhan Sirhan, actually one, but I'm not going to name him because I'm not really sure about him. Sirhan Sirhan shot Robert F. Kennedy, perhaps the only good Kennedy, three times, and he died the next day. Uh, and five others were wounded at the Ambassador Hotel in Los Angeles, California. And on this Today in History thing, there's kind of an irony because in 1981, a guy named Michael Butler developed the world's first Today in History program with editable data. It was called Today on a mainframe computer. So that's why I can look this shit up. So how amazing is that? There were no birthdays that meant anything on this day. Nothing really in music. Nothing much in film and TV. Zero in sport. But years from now, people will be looking back on this day in 2020 and saying, wow, that was a heavy week. And it's been a heavy week. But we got a lot to cover. And it's going to be a nice, tight, brief show. We're not going to be waffling on. Uh, some awful good news. Malka Leifler, some of you may know who she is. Some may not. She was the very, very, very bad Jewish teacher uh, who abused dozens of girls at an Orthodox Jewish school, Orthodox Jewish school here in Melbourne, and with the help of the heads of the school, fled to Israel to hide. And it's been over ten years. And finally, finally a judge, and there's been some really corrupt judges there in Israel, which really gives me the shits, because I like to think of Israel as being, by and large, a just, wonderful, democratic place, being it's the only democracy in the Mideast. No, it's not perfect. It does a lot of really stupid, bad things. It is not without its warts. But um, they've kept her over there under all this pretext of mental illness, but she's going to be extradited. They say she's okay to be extradited. She's not mentally ill. And she'll be coming back here for justice, which is kind of interesting because it ties in with a great TV show that uh, we watched this week, the four-episode special on Netflix, Jeffrey Epstein, Filthy Rich, which is about his abusing um, and creating a Ponzi scheme with hundreds of underage girls. Really, really bad actor. Talk about that. Um, let's talk about it now. I'm on it. Why well, segue out and come back and waste valuable pixels? It was a Netflix special. It just premiered this week, four episodes, and it goes through the pretty much history of Jeffrey Epstein, billionaire, bon vivant, and how he got off pedophile charges in 2008 with the help of the former Department of Labor. Uh, Secretary Jim Acosta, who was the former uh, Southern District of New York District Attorney, and obviously was paid off. Obviously, everything was. They didn't even go to trial. It was just suddenly, okay, Jeff, um, you plead a couple months for uh, running prostitutes. These girls weren't prostitutes. They were like 14, 15, 16 years old, brought there under pretext to make a bit of money and put in a horrible position with his partner stroke girlfriend Ghislaine Maxwell, the daughter of scam dog, deceased British newsman Robert Maxwell. And 
then after he got off after a few months, 10 years later in, in 2018, it happened again. But this time he was caught. And the people that have been associated with him, um, Bill Clinton, who flew a dozen times on his jet to his private island in the Caribbean, which Clinton totally denies what is in all the log, log books. What, what a POS. Um, President Trump, who spent time with him. Prince Andrew, whose BBC interview, if you, if you didn't think Prince Andrew was guilty before, you know for sure he was guilty after that interview. One of the nine worst mea culpa, I didn't do it, interviews of all time. Anyway, that's a very well done special. Four episodes, well worth watching. And uh, we'll talk about Obama game. We're going to throw in a new language for you. And um, we're going to be worried about bugs. Bugs are a problem. And by bugs, I'm talking about cicadas. If you don't know what cicadas are, um, they're kind of like locusts. They're kind of like locusts. And regrettably, right now, 17-year locusts are about to emerge at the end of this month. There's this whole brood called Brood 9. And there's about a million and a half of these per acre. A million and a half per acre. And they're really spooky green wing things with bright red eyes. They're fucking scary. And um, I used to be called Bugman when I was a little kid in Sioux City. And the reason I was called Bugman, well, I hope this is the reason I was called Bugman, is that I was absolutely obsessed with insects. And Sioux City, Iowa in the 1950s was awash with insects. Butterflies, moths, crickets, beetles, everything. And I was kind of a would-be entomologist. I wanted to be an insect collector par excellence. And I had the best butterfly and moth collection ever, as Brent Rosenthal will tell you, because he borrowed mine and uh, turned it in for a school assignment as his own. So yes, there was roaring going back on back then. Um, kind of weird that you would go to jail for borrowing someone's Lepidoptera collection. No, he didn't go to jail. But it, um, it laid the groundwork for his future. Anyway, I was always out with the green net, always out catching things. And um, until I realized that to be a really excellent entomologist, then you'd have to go to Africa and South America and really buggy places out in the jungle, and you know, which is full of things that I don't like, like ticks and leeches and crazy-ass stuff, then uh, then I gave it up. But uh, I've always been fascinated by cicadas. And the sound that these broods made, the sound is over 90 decibels. If you don't know what 90 decibels is, it's like a jet. It's like being near a jet as it comes over. And uh, get ready. For those of you in the area, get ready. They're coming. There's nothing you can do. Nothing you can do. The sound will freak you out for days. I'll try and get some recordings to play in future episodes because it's coming in just a few weeks. The fascination I had with insect collecting was insane. And as I think of June and July back in Iowa, I would go out on warm nights and I'd set up a big sheet, like a bed sheet, 
and I'd have a couple of flashlights behind it so it would illuminate it. You know, this was before digital and LEDs and everything like that. So just a simple bed sheet uh, stretched across a couple of trees and a big flashlight behind it. So it was this big white glow. And the moths, the myths that would come to it at night, um, luna moths, cecropia moths. If you grew up in the Midwest, you know what I'm talking about. The most gorgeous creatures ever. Beautiful, giant, feathery wings. Um, cecropias well over a hand span, almost two hand spans in some cases. And uh, what I just miss is the fields and fields of lightning bugs. There's really nothing as magical as a Midwestern summer night just after dusk as the lightning bugs come out. And if there is a more peaceful, stunning sight as a kid, I just, I just don't know what it is. And I can remember it just like yesterday, especially when you catch a bunch of them and put them in a jar and capture them bring them into your room and you'd have all those lights in your room. It was like a mini light show. And then, if you were mildly disturbed, you kill them, smash the little lightning parts and rub it all over your brother's walls so that he would see luminescent goo on his walls when he came in at night. I'll bet you know who that was. But I wasn't cruel. I didn't torture insects. I, ha I had a killing jar which had... Um, um, it was like ether or something, whatever I got from um, Patchcraft Hobby, Bob Patch on Pier Street, and put it in a cotton ball. It killed him in a second. It was early euthanasia, and uh, I couldn't stand any any insect or anything suffering. Bit of a suck there, bit of a suck. And that's um, that's our bug news. That's our, that, that is our bug news. Um my other thing that I've been thinking about all week that I wanted to run past you is a gap year. When I went to the University of Colorado in 1971, and you've heard some of my exploits, um, not all good, from that um, experience out there at the university. Um, a couple things. One, I'd wanted to be a journalist. I wanted to be like, you know, I thought that Watergate was an amazing expose. Even though I was a fan of Nixon, I'm generally uh, a Republican. I thought that um, the expose by Bernstein and Woodward was amazing. And I thought journalism would be awesome. Bring the truth to millions of people and give acknowledge for it. Well, these days, I think baby Jesus and Moses that I didn't become a journalist because there's maybe five journalists with ethics out there today. Um, your beautiful Washington Post, which, uh, as Dan Bongino likes to make fun, democracy dies in the darkness, is their um, tagline. Well, they are the darkness. They haven't pr printed anything of, of truth in a decade. But um, at University of Colorado, I felt so overwhelmed. I don't know how many of you have kids that are of university age, just about to leave high school and go to university. I don't know how many of you went directly from high school to university in my era, most. But over here and in England, they seem to take a gap year. It's a very popular thing. You graduate high school and often you'll just 
take a backpack, go across Europe or whatever, especially Aussies who are travel maniacs, and just kind of get some life experience. I had zero life experience. I grew up very mollycoddled and very sheltered and very wrapped in cotton wool in Sioux City, Iowa. And when I finally went to university, after the folks had piled us in the station wagon and you know, we took all the tours of the schools, USC, UCLA, um, Arizona, Arizona State, Colorado. There was no way I was going to go to school in Iowa. I wanted to get as far away from Iowa as po- as possible. No no disrespect. Great universities. My dad went to the University of Iowa um, and graduated with every honor possible. And in fact, it would have been his 101st birthday this week. So uh, shout out to dad up there looking down. Boy, would he have been old. And boy, would he have hated these times. He just would have hated all the protesting, rioting, um, chaos, uh, everything. Technical problems, internet. He he might not even like this podcast. He might have listened to this podcast. Maybe he is listening to this podcast. I suspect he is. Um, or at least my mom is up there and telling him about it. Or down there. No. Definitely up there. Um, he was the old school guy, born in 1919. And when he retired, it was just his computers were really happening. And he just didn't want any part of technology or anything. We tried to get him into an iPad and stuff like that before he died, just to kind of get his mind active, which worked with my mom. But nope, didn't want a part of it. And uh, hated the moral an ethical hierarchy and how it had been turned upside down and there was no loyalty anymore. It was just about the dollar. Um, Hey, remember this podcast is free. It's not about the dollar and uh, just doing the right thing. And I guess I'm channeling him right now. And I do still think about him every week, um, almost every day of every week, which is interesting because he's been gone 11 years. I don't know how many of you have recently lost parents or even a long time ago, how still profound they can be uh, in your life. And I still find myself, strangely enough, um, if I had an achievement I'm really proud of, I instantly want to go to the phone and call my mom or dad. Um, Still that little kid inside of us all. And I still love that when uh, my son Steve calls within a great, with a great achievement. But uh, I was unprepared at Colorado. From a town with very few people to a campus of 34,000. Um, dormitories, rooming with people. I'd never roomed with people. I had my own room. I never had to interface with other people. I never had to share sinks or closets, never had to share anything. So suddenly my whole life was turned upside down and I had no clue of what to do. So I'm a big fan of people that decide, you know what, I'm going to take a year, maybe work, maybe pursue something that I might be studying at university, maybe maybe just hang out and try and build some emotional strength and private skills and work skills and stuff like that. I think that I would have been so much more productive and so much more focused and gotten so much more value out of university if I'd had a gap year because I was lost in space, absolutely lost in space. Um, So think about it. 
especially for those of you in the Northern Hemisphere that are graduating this month or just graduated. Congratulations. I think it's very important to finish school. I think people that leave school early might not be missing out on education, but they're missing out on the completion. Completion is so important. Um, or as Lori Laughlin said, just getting into the school is important. How much does that cost? Well, she found out. She found out. Um, going back to the today in history, that Sirhan Sirhan thing, kind of seems that the Palestinians have been a problem for a long time. And the Chinese have been a problem for a long time, too. Because I was having dinner the other night with some of my friends. Uh, they were actually over here at the house. Yes, we're allowed to have five people over to the house. The restaurants opened Monday at 8 a.m. At 8.01 a.m., we were at one of our favorite cafes, the North Point Cafe in Brighton, right at the end of North Road, right on the water, run by a fantastic family, the Salem family. And we had our muffin and bacon sandwich and coffee and tea, and looking out at the water. And yeah, there was social distancing. There weren't a lot of tables. And you had to sign in your name. You had to sign in your phone number. So if somebody gets the woo flu in a couple of weeks, they can go, oh, he was in that restaurant at 801. And these people were in that restaurant at 801. We can go call them and check them out. So I'm not averse to that. Some people say, oh, that's Big Brother. But I, I'm not averse to that. I think it's a good thing. Actually, if they thought it through and they didn't really have time to think it through here, when they gave us this COVID app to download, which a lot of people are freaked out about because, oh, they'll know where I am. It's actually a Bluetooth operated app and it only triggers when you're with someone else that has the app for 15 minutes or more within a couple of meters. So no, it doesn't tell you if you've been shopping or at a brothel or buying drugs or speeding or whatever. But if they thought it through and they barcoded it and each restaurant or business had a barcode machine, then as you walked in the door, then they could record that information and that would be good that they know you're there. However, privacy people would have gone insane and you know, civil rights people would have gone insane too. Oh, so you can't go in the restaurant unless you have the app. Yeah, it would have opened up a can of worms. It's all a can of worms. It's all been a waste of time and money the last few months anyway. But we were there and we were delighted to sit there, have a simple meal, and have people bring it to us. No, that's not slavery. That's hospitality. Hospitality. But the other night, the same when we had our friends over, we were talking about China and how this all started. And yes, the Wu flu. Thank you, China. China started this. China's going to pay. They are going to pay for this big time. But here in Australia in 1967, we had a prime minister disappear, Harold Holt. And it is alleged and suspected, although there is no confirmed proof, that he was taken by a Chinese submarine. He was at Cheviot Beach here in Victoria, a notoriously dangerous beach. And he, um, he was a fisherman. He was a swimmer, very tough guy. And, you know, we don't have Secret Service people here. In 1967, when the prime minister wanted to go swimming, he just went swimming. Can you imagine if President Trump just wanted to, you know, go down to Newport Beach, Rhode Island, and uh, go swimming without Secret Service people? 
that would not end well on, on a lot of levels. But anyway, Prime Minister Holt disappeared. But it was only like a couple of days to really people kind of cottoned on to it. He goes, anybody seen the Prime Minister? Oh, I think he was going, yeah, mate, I think he was going swimming a couple of days ago. Yeah. Well, hello, the Prime Minister's missing. Well, anyway, they combed the beaches. They had a million boats out there. And allegedly, someone spotted a Chinese submarine. Now, there's probably very little dispute that there was a Chinese submarine there, but there's a lot of conjecture over whether the Chinese submarine kidnapped Harold Holt and took him away. But maybe it was just a foreshadowing of events that China should not be trusted. And here we are 43 years later, and they have rooted the entire world. For those of you in the U.S. and the U.K., rooted uh, is a wonderful Aussie, Aussie term. And it basically means fucked. And China has fucked the world. Uh, and excuse that bad Aussie accent before. Um, that, was, that was pretty lame. Now, on the subject of Harold Holt, by the way, and something that is intrinsically bizarre and so lovable about Australia and why I just embrace living here, is not far from here, we have a pool, and it's called the Harold Holt Pool. So only in Australia <laughs> would they name a pool after a prime minister who drowned. I mean, can you imagine going to Dallas and finding, you know, the uh, um, Lee Harvey Oswald book depository or something like that, or hopping into Memphis and go, would you like to stay uh, in the James Earl Ray room? It has a beautiful balcony. Um, you know, I'd take that room in a heartbeat. But Australians have a great sense of humor and irony, and uh, I quite love that. Absolutely love that. One thing Australians do do, do do, that um, drives me mental, though, is they both embrace Americana, but they uh, also try and hijack American politics. And we're going to have, we, we have been battling here for eight, nine weeks being stuck inside uh, largely stuck inside, not only because of the Wu flu, but local Chairman Mao, Dan Andrews, our premier, our failed premier, um, telling us, you know, we can't even breathe without his permission. And now, because he's s s such a dickhead, he's going to allow a demonstration in the city this weekend where about 30,000 people are showing up um, ostensibly to honor the memory of George Floyd. But what it is, is to just root the city and create havoc. Now, you couldn't couldn't have five people together at your house. You couldn't go out to a restaurant until this last Monday. And now they're going to allow 30,000 people and they say they're not going to fine or ticket people because, you know, they're supporting the protest. Um, well, you know what? I do think the whole thing's been overrated from the beginning. I said that from the beginning, and I said by July 1st, which is coming up, my birthday, don't forget, very few shopping days left, that this would all be behind us. But now, if this actually does spur a huge amount of contagion and cases and actually give us a, a real wave that we haven't had down here, I am not going to stay locked down. If it's because of that, I'm going to do what I want, and I would strongly urge any and every business in Victoria to do whatever you want. Because if the government's going to tell you what not to do, 
and then they're going to allow a random demonstration um, of a person who died tragically, but a zillion miles away in the U.S. It has nothing to do with anything down here. Then there's no, there's no need to obey the government anymore. Just forget about it. Run your business and do what you need to do to survive. That that's that's my thought on it. Now, which not ham-handedly, but quite succinctly brings us into the events of the moment. It's hard not to comment on the amazingly tragic death of, of George Floyd. Uh, you look at that video, it's horrific. It, I've looked at it like 50 times. It gets more horrific every, every time. And my initial comment on it was he should be charged with first-degree murder because I was so angry, um, although that's really not logical because it wasn't premeditated. I'm sure the cop didn't wake up this morning and that morning and say, I'm going to go out and kill somebody. But at least second degree, which it has since the past few days been upgraded to. And the three other cops should have been charged. And they have now been charged. Um, you are in Minnesota, a, um, a state with such trash as Ilan Omar, the most un-American, American-hating person. I don't know how she got elected there. Minnesota is a disgrace used to love going there as a kid. The state is a disgrace. And they're Antifa-supporting attorney general. And a, it's, it's a political disgrace. The people, I'm sure, are beautiful. People are beautiful everywhere. But this is one place where government just, the, the ilk of it. Um, so hopefully our criminal justice system, which is the best in the world, I'm going to say our democracy, the United States, the U.K., Australia, the, the triumvirate of English-speaking democracy. Um, will Justice will be handed out. I don't care what he did before. I don't care if he was high, if he stole something, or, or whatever the reason he was stopped for. It's totally 100% inexcusable. When you're a cop, and I love cops, cops protect us. I grew up being scared of cops, but also respecting them, and that's something that's completely been lost these days. The police, you got a problem at the house? That's the first thing you do. You think, I'm going to call the police. They're there to protect us. So when people say, defund the police, fuck the police, um, you know, well, you know what? Go to Bulgaria, you know, go to Iran, and then and live in those conditions. Most police are fantastic. Are there some bad police? Of course. Are there horribly racist police and murderous police? Yes. However, if you look at the stats the past 50 years from when people could, cops could go around and shoot a black man with impunity in many areas now, or, or black police officers weren't, weren't even allowed to shower and dress with normal police officers, which is disgraceful. It has improved exponentially. Is it equal? No. Are black people and people of color targeted? Yes. But has it improved every year? Statistically, yes. I'm not going to go rattle off a million statistics. They're all there on the internet from trusted sources. But things are much better now. Do we still get it wrong? Of course. Do we get it wrong when um, political pressure bowed and O.J. Simpson was let off because they didn't want to have a riot, any further riots in Los Angeles? Of course. Um, we didn't even get it right um, getting Jeffrey Epstein to a trial. We, we, we mess it up all the time, but it's the best that we can have. Anyway, on that note, because I promised to address it, I am all for the God-given and constitutional right to protest and gather peacefully. 
peacefully. And most of the people that were gathering in Minneapolis and initially in other cities were peaceful locals. However, contrary to what you read in the mainstream news, what has happened here is you've, you've got a couple of other, other factions here, and a, th- and a thank you to a couple people, uh, Kirk Tempson um, in Los Angeles and, and Dan Bongino, his podcast, and many others, which I've just digested over the week and looked at the facts and looked at the police reports um, that have been published, not just conjecture. And the big problem is the two other factions in each city. You have the local disadvantaged looters that say, oh, okay, everybody's going crazy here. I can go in and I can loot and steal. And that's disgusting. It's absolutely disgusting. Um, I didn't come from an underprivileged background where I needed to rush in and steal a TV or tennis shoes or whatever. And I, and I understand it. I don't condone it, but those people should be charged. But that is not the big problem. The other big problem is people from both in states and out of states that have traveled, organized. This isn't some ragtag group of teenagers like, like the mainstream media is saying. Organized um, with huge manuals on how to avoid police and how to create civil chaos and destroy and maim and kill and create anarchy. And they they go under the guise of Antifa that they're anti-fascist, but in regard they are fascists. And the, these people are absolutely the most dangerous people as domestic terrorists. And even the looters want nothing to do with them. So you've got the three factions here. You've got the peaceful protesters, good on them. You've got the looters and criminals who are looters and criminals and should be charged as such. But more importantly, you've got this terrorist faction, which is coming in and, and burning down things. Believe me, um, if you're a looter and a criminal on, you know, Fifth Street in Hennepin in Minneapolis or wherever, you don't want to burn your own house down. So people are collectively saying, oh, it's all the looters and rioters that are burning and, and looting. No, when you steal something, take it home, then you don't burn your own house down. So it's these outside factions and they do need to be addressed. And that is what has hijacked the memory of George Floyd. It's not about George Floyd anymore. God rest his soul. And I hope something wondrous comes out of this. Something wondrous always comes out of something horrible. I say this every week. There is always light, equal light or greater light, because I believe light has more gravity than darkness, pound for pound. And it can be measured. Um, Something wondrous will come out of this. We, um, we, the U.S. Um, has to do better. It has to learn from this. It has to learn the big, 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 big lesson. It didn't learn a lot of stuff from Vietnam, as we find out in the Mideast, but it's um, it survived everything um, from its inception, from getting the, the Revolutionary War. How could, how could we have ever won the Revolutionary War? Impossible odds. Boom, won. War of 1812. Got, got through everything, every epine- epidemic, Spanish flu, um, civil war, everything. The U.S. can get through this, and I do believe it will. I hope the U.S. won't become Rome or Greece or, you know, fall like Alexander the Great or um, any other great nation or empire that... Uh, disintegrates, but time will tell. Um, Time will tell. Anyway, now, got that out of my system. That also overshadowed 
the most amazing thing for me this last week, which was SpaceX, to sit in bed. It was five in the morning here and watch when the launch got delayed on the Friday morning here, and then they put it off to Sunday. It just brought me back to sitting in the living room on Valley Drive as a kid and waiting for those launches, you know, T minus three, T minus two, oh, the, and then they scrub the launch and go, oh my God, the, the pain of waiting as a child watching Cape Canaveral um, just, and, and then having it delayed was almost intolerable. I used to have no, pa- I still have no patience. I used to send my color film away because you couldn't get color film developed in Sioux City. You could get black and white film developed at Dean Drug, but color film had to go out to Rochester, to Kodak, to uh, get your transparencies back in the early days, in the 50s. And you'd post it off and you'd wait and wait and wait and wait and wait. And I'd go to the mailbox every day and it wouldn't be there. I'd go, fuck! Except I didn't say that when I was, you know, eight. And I hated waiting. So I hated waiting when the launch was rescheduled and had all the fear, you know, that it would blow up and all those things. But it went beautifully. And it did bring me back to being that kid in the living room watching the launches and the magic of American entrepreneurship, cooperation, and a joint goal. And if that can be if that can be transmitted to all the negativity and people can start dreaming again, because the people that are looting and rioting and especially the Antifa and, and yeah, there's some right wing, you know, um, people say, oh, it's the, it's the white power right wing people. No, it's not. There are some there, but the majority is the Antifa people. Trust me on that one. It'll, it'll bear out. You'll see. But if all the people that are so upset and so angry and rioting and stealing and stuff could have a dream, it's people that have lost their dreams, had their dreams shattered, that go down to the darkness, that go down to destruction and hate. And the ability to have a dream to hang on to, a cluster of dreams, one little shred of a dream, whether it's, you know, to find love. Uh, to find that perfect partner, that guy or chick or wh- whatever, um, that that dream that when you're just sitting there with your your pet on your lap, your cat or your dog or whatever, and you're just in a beautiful alpha state and looking out the window and thinking how wonderful the world can be. People that don't have that opportunity, that's what I feel the saddest for. People that have no hope. And it's hard to instill hope. I hope, I hope that we can find hope. I hope that out of this George Floyd tragedy, and I can't imagine what his family's going through, his daughter and everything like that. I just, I've never experienced anything like that. I, I can't even imagine it. They say you got to walk a mile in someone's shoes. Never walked in those shoes. I just pray that we can find some collective hope on all this and the divisiveness and hate. Uh, And I get sucked into it too. I really get sucked into energy against the hard left, which is the trigger for this. And I understand why people can really hate the president, even though I disagree with it, but that's, that's where they're coming from. Maybe we can find some collective hope here. Maybe. 
a common dream. Maybe SpaceX can be a trigger for a common dream. We hope. Continue to live in hope. And I guess on one last note, they're kind of bringing it home. It, I just don't understand why when something happens, people see it as an excuse to go out and completely destroy. Um, as you all know, I'm Jewish. I'm not Orthodox. I love a good bacon sandwich, but I do identify as Jewish. So when I see an elderly 80-year-old grandmother thrown off a balcony by someone screaming, Allah Akbar, or someone attacking a Jewish grocery and killing a bunch of Jews, um, you don't see all the Jews go organize and burn every mosque to the ground and kill every Muslim that they could. Because we're peace-loving people. We are peace-loving people. And we think, wow, this is a horrific thing. We'll get through it. So I'm not sure really how to categorize it just yet, but when this George Floyd thing happened, one last epilogue here, for everyone around the world of every color to want to go out and destroy the world does not make sense to me. And if there's one thing I believe about positivity in religion, whether you're Christian, Episcopalian, Presbyterian, Jewish, um, whatever the Judeo-Christian ethic is to create and forgive and move on and not to destroy, not to destroy. Okay, Bobby, stop being so somber. Be happy. Okay, okay. I am happy. I am very happy. I'm going to be playing tennis after this. So instantly my mood is is happy. I'm. Uh, it's going to be a bit chilly out there, but uh, yeah, I'm going against the Middleton. Yeah, Middleton 2.0, loser. Um, my occasional tennis worst enemy best friend type person who we spoke about a previous pod podcast so uh, we'll be going out and hitting the tennis ball with him and having having a few drinks he's he, <laughs> mr excuse he's already emailed me that two of his kids are sick so he, he might be late in fact there's probably a 10 percent chance to say oh one of them's too sick i can't go what's your wife for mate jesus my god Gave the girls the vote. Let them drive. Have them watch your kids. Ladies, I did that just to trigger you. You know that. Anyway, it's probably because I wasn't a good father. I would always choose tennis over looking after my kids. But, 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 what is the best film of the decade? Well, the best film of the decade was called The Social Network by Quentin Tarantino recently. Now, Quentin Tarantino is a fave director of mine. He's made some bad films, and he's a strange cat. And um, he's never really come clean on uh, all the wonderful things Harvey Weinstein did for him uh, at the uh, expense of many of his female co-stars, like Uma, who said she would say something at the right time. Well, it's been three years, Uma. Speak up. But uh, Quentin Tarantino knows so much about film. He is the cinephile of cinephiles. Maybe him and Martin Scorsese are the directors that probably know the most about cinema history that um, just just a wealth of information. And when you look at the social network as as the uh, the Facebook movie, as the film of the decade, there's certainly certainly a lot of validity there. What else captures the zeitgeist? 
of our decade and change and where we're at more than social media. And David Fincher, who directed that, um, and who also directed uh, Zodiac and Seven. Seven is a film I've seen probably 35, 40 times. Absolutely, mythically, beautifully crafted. Um, I agree with Quentin Tarantino on that. Speaking of Seven, by the way, Seven was the ultimate uh, sabotage movie when it first came out. It came out and didn't really get much traction for a while, even with Brad Pitt and Morgan Freeman, because it was so dark. And it initially came out to rather maudlin reviews. Um, it wasn't a very happy movie, you know, um, especially seeing, you know, Brad Pitt's wife played by Gwyneth Paltrow's head in a box. Um, but about three weeks into the release, there's some friends of mine, I shall say former friends of mine, that um, used to call up and say, Bobby, what's a good movie to see? That was my friend and his wife. Um, and they were both friends, but she was never as good a friend. In fact, she thought Carolyn, which is her real name, if she's listening, if she's even capable of listening. Um, yeah, she knows how to use the internet by now. I'm sure uh, Mark, my friend, would have showed her, her husband. Um, anyway, the point of the story is she called up and said, what's a good movie for us to see? And I had just seen Seven the Night Before, and I was completely freaked out. And I go, I think you should go see Seven. She goes, Seven? Yeah. Do you like Brad Pitt? She goes, I love Brad Pitt. Like Morgan Freeman? <laughs> Who doesn't like Morgan Freeman? I go, it's a buddy cop film. It's, you know, two cops, kind of, one's at the beginning of his career, end of his career. It's a great romp. It's a great romp. In fact, you probably could take the kids, but um, maybe not. Maybe not. There's some swearing and stuff in there. Well, lo and behold, <laughs> lo and behold, they did go. And they did take the kids. And uh, I haven't spoken to her since that week, many, many years ago. Um, and in fact, uh, my former good friend, Mark, was never quite as close to me after that. And I said, you know, you're, I think you, your wife really needs to get a better sense of humor. But... Um, Perhaps I crossed the line there. I don't know. I don't know how their kids have grown up. Either my kid, my kids and my late son, Chris, and my son, Stevie, were exposed to horror and, and terror, um, well, in the house, but uh, at the movies constantly. And it was good for them. It was good for them. I'll tell a story about that in a, in a, future, in a future show. Now, also, on, while we're at the, the brightness of the movies and things like that, one of the things besides the Jeffrey Epstein series I've been watching has been Money Heist. Now, I have to thank my uh, um, wife's niece and nephew, Sarah and Jason, who just had a new baby just a couple of months ago. Again, congratulations. The baby has more hair than me. It really freaks me out. Gorgeous baby. Um, not in the babies so much, but it's, it's a gorgeous baby. And uh, they said Money Heist, Money Heist. Well, I knew it was Spanish, and I knew it was dubbed and subtitled um, in some markets. And that always kind of puts me off a bit. I'm a lazy American. I don't like dubbing, and I don't like subtitles. Although I have been putting the closed caption on from time to time when I can't really hear something correctly, which is a sign that my hearing is going. I had the big hearing test a couple months ago, and yeah, my hearing's disintegrating from um, too much loud music and exposure to loud sounds. Anyway, Money Heist, which is originally entitled The House of Paper in Spain, um, Casa de Papel, 
was done in 2017 and had 31 episodes, two seasons. It was done for television originally. And it centers around um, kind of a mysterious guy called The Professor who, who gets this assemblage of people together, of men and women, to go rob the House of Paper, the Spanish, Royal Spanish Mint. And I'm not going to give away a lot, of, a lot of the things about it, but it's 31 episodes. And in the first 30 seconds, you're hooked. It's like the UK series Bodyguard with Richard Madden, who you might know from Game of Thrones. You watch the first 30 seconds. You're so hooked. Absolutely amazing drama. Now, the problem with House of Paper, the, prob the problem with Money Heist is the characters are so well-drawn. You've got all these characters from all around, men and women, young and old, and they're going to be this army to rob this, this mint. Now, it's very reminiscent of the film Heat, one of uh, absolutely the best cop film ever made and one of the 10 best films ever made, uh, directed by Michael Mann with Robert De Niro and Al Pacino, Val Kilmer. Amazeballs. So you've got this diverse group of people that are going to rob, and they go through all this training, and they understand that when they're in there that only this outside mysterious person called the professor can direct them. They Once they're inside, a lot of things are going to happen. There's going to be psychological problems, problems with the hostages, problems everywhere. And he prepares them all for everything. And then through a series of flashback and um, stuff on all the characters as youths and training and stuff, we see how this unfolds hours and days into the heist. Now, the characters are so well drawn. The characters are so astonishingly believable and so contagious and infectious. You just, um, it is like heat. You are you're rooting for the robbers, absolutely rooting for the robbers. And there's a couple of hostages there, especially one that you just want to kill because they're just, they're just not complying. I would kill a hostage that I would kill Arturo. When you watch it, if you watch Arturo, I would have shot him in the first day. Um, but then relationships develop and everything, and it is so engrossing. But the problem is, is that the creator and the writer, really his dialogue has some issues, it, va it vacillates, and it's television, and of course some things are lost in translation. I actually found it very, very good to have both the dubbed version on Netflix, which you we hear in English, and also the closed caption on the bottom. So the titling closed caption was done at a different house, uh, production house, than the dubbing. So hence, the translation is two different translations. So what you see on screen, see the words, and what you hear the, them say sometimes differs. So then you can kind of choose what the context is. But there's some amazing comedy, some amazing drama, but um, some there's some pretty big plot holes that you really got to kind of go with um, to sustain this amount of um, intensity and mystery and spider web of of connectivity and subplots and subtext over 31 episodes is fucking hard. Um, as a writer, I can tell you, very hard. But it could have used could have used maybe a team of editors to tight, tidy some things up. But just when you think, oh, I'm going to let that go, the most amazing twist happens, and it brings it right together. Money Heist, highly recommended, um, fantastic. And 31 episodes, so we'll really eat up some wonderful time.
Mi sono alzato, o oh bella ciao, bella ciao, bella ciao, ciao, ciao. Questa mattina mi sono alzato, e ho travolto le venvasor. Anyway, that's my, that's my Spanish incarnation of their famous song, Bella Ciao, which the, um, which the robbers sing in there. Just want to let you know I can do a little bit of Spanish too. Just a little bit of Spanish after living in Los Angeles so many years. We try and be di diverse here, very inclusive, not just the English and the Italian. So I'd kind of like to come into the home stretch here because we are going to have it a little more concise show and um, talk about one other thing that uh, does bother me a bit, and it's this raft of celebrities that have suddenly gone on Twitter and social media offering huge amounts of money um, for anyone arrested during the riots across the U.S. If there's anything more anathema to me, and I don't want to use the word hate, it's idiot, stupid celebrities offering money um, bailouts to people that have committed crimes, crimes of looting and arson and vandalism, um, attacks. There's been a number of people killed and beaten beyond recognition during the riots, shop owners, elderly shop owners, black, white, Chinese, all colors, trying to defend their businesses. And these celebrities, I won't even name them out because they're d disgusting, want to offer money as a bail for people that have done this. And that really triggers me. Not that I often get triggered, but another thing that triggers me is, are, are you gay? Are you... Bogan, are you trailer trash? Um, not that there's anything wrong with that, but I'll bet you all have one thing in common. I'll bet you order pineapple on your pizza. It's a major trigger, and we're going to discuss that in a four-part deep psychological unveiling. So I'll get re-triggered into the niceness, because right across the way here, we have some of the nicest neighbors, and we just found out that they're going to be moving the end of the year. And... Um, it's a bit sad. It's a young couple with um, a couple young kids. And it's great to hear kids playing out in the driveway in the cul-de-sac where we live. And they're just really nice. And, um, you know, I'll let you know if somebody suspicious is around the neighborhood or you go in for a coffee. Do you want a coffee? Because there's a great coffee place up the street. Super random, as I've called out before. And it just reminds me of great neighbors that I had when I was living in Boulder, Colorado. Great neighbors I had when I was living in uh, Beverly Hills and Santa Monica and Pacific Palisades, always had wonderful neighbors, always been blessed with that, and especially growing up in, in Sioux City. Um, so it seems strange when people don't even know their neighbors, and I think the, a lot of the, the isolation, you know, we're the only friends people have social media. If you can't have a cup of coffee with your neighbor, or have a chat. So I'm quite sad that they'll be moving, and... Uh, I don't know. If you haven't spoken to your neighbor, this one, just a little bit of a call out, why don't you say hi to your neighbor? Say hi to him on your morning walk or when you're at the letterbox, whatever. You never know what good can come of it. They might have a meth lab. You might need to know about that. Hmm. Well, you know what time it is now, folks. It's that time. So, you finally arrived. What the hell are you wearing? It's my ass-kicking outfit, bitch! Well, 
What am I wearing? I am wearing my tennis outfit because I'm going to be going straight out to tennis after this, which is a Nike tracksuit. It's the Nike tracksuit worn by Nick Kyrgios at the Australian Open, and it's pretty groovy. Now, Nick Kyrgios, by the way, is an interesting character. He's always kind of been the bad boy of tennis the past couple of years and kind of an international bad boy. He'd withdraw from tournaments. He'd kind of hit the ball between his legs, half play, say horrific things. Um, unbelievable talent unbelievable talent, but he looked like he could have been one of those people that just imploded and didn't channel that talent into greatness um, like many other like many other players, specifically John McEnroe, who was such a bad boy but became such a great champion. But Nick Kyrgios has evolved. He's got a really sweet spot inside, which I saw in an interview on a Channel 10 show um, where a couple of you know, young kids, like five and six-year-old, seven-year-old kids were asking him questions. And you could see what a sweet guy he is, just a bad boy exterior. And his, his game has ramped up. And I think it's going to be a really astonishing future championship. And I hope he finds his, his sweet spot in life. He's a guy that everybody loved to hate, but I hope it's a guy that everybody loves to like. Anyway, just a quick shout out to a couple of people. Um, as we always do here each week. Uh, Sean Waterford. Sean Waterford is a Facebook friend that I've never met, but has always been a good friend online and very supportive and supported this podcast and really appreciate that. And major shout out to Brad Flowers and Jonathan Penaluma at Porsche Center Brighton, the best customer service people on the planet. And just unrelated to everything, I wonder if a place called Orville and Wilbur's in Manhattan Beach still exists. If anybody out there is listening, that used to be a real favorite. And it just popped into my head when I was looking at an old photo today. Well, on that note, non dimenicare di sorridere e non dimenticare di sonorare prima di vedere la prossima Settimana. Don't forget to smile and don't forget to dream before I see you next week. And remember, you know, it's really nice to be important, but in these times, it's way more important to be nice. God bless us, one and all, Tiny Tim. We live in hope. <laughs>